this is a podcast that I've wanted to do for a while about Tolkien's book, The Cimmerillion, which is a kind of a creation story of the world of Middle-earth slash a history of all the events of Middle-earth up to and including the events of the Lord of the Rings. Even compared to Lord of the Rings, which is already kind of too dry and slow for some people, uh, The Cimmerillion is even drier than that. Uh, it kind of reads like a history book almost. Lots of broad strokes, descriptions of events instead of like typical fiction writing with a story beginning, middle, end. There's not really a lot of that in Sim- The Cimmerillion. It's, it's, almost, it's basically a history text of Middle-earth. Uh, so for that reason, a lot of people find it really dry and unappealing and kind of inaccessible. But it is one of my favorite books, and uh, a lot of cool, epic, high-fantasy stuff happens in The Cimmerillion. Uh, stuff that's, to me, even cooler and way more interesting than Lord of the Rings. And if you like Lord of the Rings... It adds a lot of context to the events of the Lord of the Rings. Stuff that maybe you didn't think had a lot of meaning is given a lot more meaning by the connections it has to events in the Cimmerillion. Um, And stuff, they mention a lot of stuff in the Lord of the Rings that you think, oh, maybe they're going to explain that later, and then they never do. And a lot of that stuff that it mentions and doesn't develop is because it was already developed in the Cimmerillion. It's just that the Cimmerillion was written first, um, but was published after Tolkien's death. He never published it. Um, so anyway, it's it's a really cool uh, text, but it's basically a history book with kind of some short stories thrown in. Uh, and for that reason, I wanted to do a podcast that would be not Cimmerillion in a nutshell, but basically, I wanted to take the Cimmerillion and kind of talk about it from beginning to end in segments that are consumable and funny and interesting and use modern language and uh, to make it more accessible and fun. Um, basically, people who don't want to who want to know what happens in the Cimmerillion but don't want to sit down and read the Cimmerillion. That's my that's my target audience here, um, because it's a really amazing book, and I'd hate for people to miss out on it just because uh, they don't want to read the history text. But it's 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 an amazing book, and I, I definitely recommend you read it. But if you don't, well, here's this podcast instead. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. So the Cimmerillion begins uh, with by introducing basically God. But in the Cimmerillion, his name is Eru, which just means the one. Uh, he's also called Iluvatar, which is Elvish for, I think, father of all or something along those lines. Uh, basically, father of everything. Uh, so they use those two interchangeably. But he's basically Middle-earth god. So Middle-earth god is all by himself. He's the only thing in, in existence. And then he creates basically a host of, they're called Einar, which are, they're basically angels. Uh, and actually the chapter in the Cimmerillion that this begins is called Ainu Lindale, which means something like 
the music of the Einar, I think. Um, so basically, he creates all these Einar, which are angels, uh, and each of them basically has like a partial understanding of his mind, but none of them has the complete understanding of his mind. And they're basically just all chilling and and singing, and it's a nice time for everybody. Um, nothing exists except for God and these an uh, the Einar that are just kind of chilling and having a jam sesh, and Eru's just listening, and he thinks it's all pretty cool. And then he kind of gathers them all together after they're all kind of used to singing. They got a couple tracks out, and he declares to them a theme, which, knowing nothing about music, I don't know if that's an actual musical term that has meaning, or if it was just kind of an abstract thing that Tolkien did. Because I kind of, I mean, the song that they do is, they do this song that's basically the creation of the world, that's how they create things, is with their music. Um, and I'm sure Tolkien did that because music is very abstract, and that's kind of the best analogy that he could have possibly used. Anyway, so Eru, the one, declares a mighty theme, and all the Einar are just amazed by it, and he basically is like, alright, now make some music around this theme. Like, I did this super cool thing, and you guys adorn it with your own music. And so all the Einar start singing together, around this central theme that's created by God. And uh, they're all amazed because it's just like, uh, you know, all of them only know it's part of Eru's mind, so when they hear his theme, they're just blown away, like, oh, this guy's a genius. And so they all sing their own stuff into his song. Uh, and then there's this one Einar named Melkor. And he is... He's basically the most powerful and smartest one of all the Einar. And basically all the skills that all the other Einar have, Melkor has a little bit of that too. So he's like s skilled at everything. And he's the smartest and the most powerful. And he's, pr he's probably the most good looking too. Um, it, it, I mean, they exist in a void, so it's hard to say. But I think... That's a fair assumption. He's probably gorgeous. Uh, so, in the middle of the music, he starts kind of like... He's like, well, I want to make my own music. So, he, he kind of makes his own music that diverges from the main uh, jam sesh. So, basically, Melkor and the Iluvatar band end up splitting over artistic differences. So, the people who are singing around him get all confused... And some of them just stop singing, and uh, other people start singing along with his thing that he's got going, because they're like, I like these jams that he's pumping over here. And Eru kind of hears this, this discord, and so he quiets the band, but he's smiling, and he, but he, he quiets the band, and he's like, alright, alright, you've had your fun. And then he declares a second mighty theme then this one's even cooler than the first one. And they're all like, oh, God, this is... I didn't realize this was going to be an all-day sesh, but here we go. And they all, they all start singing to this to this new one. And uh, Melkor once again does his own music, and it rises even louder, and there's like this war of sound in space. Shouldn't even be possible. 
but it but it happens. And um, the Einer basically stops singing because Melkor's song just gets so loud, and they're like, "Ah, oh, sheesh, we can't contend with this guy. This guy just it's it's like the lead singer of the band just decides that he doesn't need any of the other members of the band, and then they have a they get in a snit. Same thing, same thing happens here, and so the Einer all stop singing, and Eru Luvatar. The one true god gets up out of his throne. He has a throne, because of course he does. He gets up out of his throne, and he and he lifts up his hand, and he's like, uh, "Oh, and I like this phrase." Uh, the Einar perceived that his countenance was stern. So, like at first, he was kind of like, oh, <laughs> "Okay, Melkor, nice try, you prankster." But now he has this look on his face where. He looks like, oh, it's kind of cute the first time, but we're just mere moments away from me having you go choose out a belt. That's how he looks now. So he declares a third theme, and uh, they they think this one's pretty amazing also, of course, because everything he does, he can do no wrong. But Melkor's song was also super strong, so it seemed like there are two songs going on that are at odds with each other. And they in Melkor's song they talk about it's it's loud and vain and endlessly repeated. They say that, uh, so he's just playing, just like screamo metal. And meanwhile, Luvatar is over here conducting like a classical symphony, and he's just like Luvatar's reaching over, banging on the door, like, "Can you please keep it down?" And Melkor's over here. He just got home at 3 a.m. and he's cranking his damn stereo and Iluvatar is just trying to chill with his with his peeps. The so Melkor's music is basically basically tries to like override Iluvatar's music. And Iluvatar's music basically takes Melkor's music and like combines it with his and it makes his music even more awesome because he's just a musical genius. This guy is going places. Melkor's trying to hijack his music and he just hijacks Melkor's and just folds it into his music to make his music even more awesome. He gets up out of his throne again, and this time his face is terrible to behold. Uh, and he raises up both his hands, and he's like, All right, everybody, just shut up for a second. I've got beef. And he, and he's like, you go, You're all pretty strong. And Melkor, you're the strongest. But I want you to know that like all the power that you think you have it just comes from me so you're trying to struggle with me using my own power so i just want you to know that everything that you do even even if you're trying to fight me that in the end everything you do just makes everything that i do cooler because i am the man and you're just like a mini me you're just a lesser little puke who is trying on daddy's clothes and you suck so anyway they made the song Eru made an awesome song and it turns out Eru reveals to the Einer that oh by the way the song we just did uh, that that's that was creation All the song we just did we created a world and the Einar are like no shit well that was pretty cool didn't even know what was happening and they get super excited about it. So Iluvatar shows the Einar a vision 
of what their song created. So they see the world and they're amazed. Um, and they also so they see a vision of things in this world and things to come. The, all the things that were created by their song, uh, which basically encompasses all of the timeline that we know of. And they see for the first time the children of Iluvatar, which is kind of an umbrella term for elves and men, those two races. Uh, dwarves I'll talk about later. They were a mistake and the worst race. Um, so they see a vision that includes elves and men, and they're just in awe. They think that elves and men are the, are the greatest things ever. Because up until now, other than themselves, they, don't, they have not met anything with life and thought. So to see a whole race of beings that's going to come into existence that is going to be free and walking around and thinking thoughts, they think this is amazing. And they had nothing to do with its creation because Eru is the only one... Eru's part of the song was this part that created basically the core of the world and the people because he's the only one with the quote-unquote imperishable flame which is like the ability to create sentient beings, which Melkor has always been jealous of because, you know, he's power hungry. So the the Einar are super, super excited about elves and men, uh, and they see that this entire time when they crafted the song, they were actually creating a habitation for these, for these people that are going to come into existence. They had no idea. They thought they were just doing it for kicks, that this was all just a... a a grand old time. So you, you kind of see like all the Einar had their parts of it. They embellished upon the song. Like they kind of made the trappings and uh, adornments of of creation. But the core concept of everything was only Eru's. So they're all... The Einar are constantly pleasantly surprised by all these things that they never knew existed until until they catch glimpses of them in the future. So... Iluvatar showing them all this stuff on the planet. And this is where it starts to introduce some of the Einar more personally. Um, but it talks about how this, like all of the Einar loved the water. Um, like they, That was one of the things that they thought was most amazing in, this, in Arda, which is the name of the planet that they created. Although, you'll, f you'll see it, they didn't actually create a planet because... Arda, when it when it is first created, is completely flat. Um, so Eru, kind of an idiot, created a flat Earth, um, which is kind of silly of him. So he creates this flat Earth, and the Einar think that water is one of the most beautiful creations that they made, and that it's just amazing. And it talks about how echoes of their song can still be heard in the ocean, and that's why men and elves are so attracted to the ocean, although they don't know why. Um, and that's kind of a theme that runs throughout um, all of Tolkien's stories, is that elves always kind of have this, elves and men both kind of had this fondness for the sea. Um, but it introduces some of the um, some of the Einar, for example. They, they kind of get broken down into these this pantheon of gods, almost, because they are very godlike, too elves and men. For example, Ulmo, uh, he turned his attention to the oceans of uh, Arda, so he almost became this god of the oceans type character. And so, 
because a lot of these, uh, a lot of the Einer are are given the option. They're all given the option to kind of descend into Arda and help prepare the Earth for elves and men to come about. Um, and Olmo is all about the oceans. That's what he likes the most of all. Um, and he's and apparently he's a really good singer too. It, that I'm not making that up. That was actually in the book. And Manwe is uh, kind of the they call him the noblest, and he's kind of viewed as like the king in this pantheon, sort of Zeus-like. He's like the king of the of the Einar. And by the way, the Einar who descend to take like actual form in Arda, um, they kind of leave the void and actually become uh, they they're called the Valar. Um, so all the Einar that descend down to Arda to actually take a hand in its in its preparation are called the Valar. So Manwe is kind of the lord of the winds. He likes to hang out in high places. He likes birds because birds like wind. Um, there is uh, Aule. These these are like the chief three. There's Aule, and he's kind of he likes the earth. He likes gems. He likes minerals and rocks and all that kind of stuff and uh so he he loves that kind of stuff uh he likes to make beautiful gems and and shiny things and trinkets and jewelry and and, and so he he and melkor kind of have that in common that they're both very skilled and they like to craft things with their own hands but Aule's thing is like he he doesn't like to hoard it. He doesn't like to keep it for himself. He's all about just making stuff and just he just gives it to people. He just likes to make things. He, his enjoyment comes from making things, not from having them. Uh, so that's his thing. And then Iluvatar kind of takes this after he shows them the, these visions of the things that they made on Arda. Uh, he kind of takes a chance to rub. Melkor's face in it about how everything Melkor does just contributes to making creation more awesome. For example, he goes up to Ulmo and he's like, "Oh yeah, how do you like the oceans, man? I know you're you're all about those oceans." And he's like, "Oh, by the way, Melkor totally tried to mess up your oceans by by making bitter cold. Uh, so bitter cold was all Melkor's doing." He's like, "Oh, but take it, check it out. It made snow." and frost, and all these beautiful things, and, and and yet still the ocean exists, didn't ruin the ocean, ocean's still around, and look, he, he devised like these fiery heats, like all this heat and dryness, and look, it, it, it made clouds and mists, and makes rain fall, fall onto the earth, and so, and look, it, and all the clouds that he made with his heat that brings you closer to Manwe, who's the Lord of the Winds. So you got water rising up into the sky, the sky so you two are still pretty buddy-buddy. Um, so you get to see Manwe from time to time, just visit him. All because Melkor was trying to be a dick, and look, he just made things more awesome. So you got pretty snowflakes, and you got fluffy clouds, and that's pretty much the extent of Melkor's damage so far. <laughs> was he made fluffy snowflakes and fluffy clouds? And and thus is his plan foiled. And you kind of see in this segment, it basically talks about how Ulmo and Manwe are are kind of the chief of the Valar, and they're the most they're the ones who stay most faithful to Eru's vision. Kind of, they're they're the ones that are most interested in in achieving 
Eru Iluvatar's uh, goals, I guess. Although that's kind of a weird way to phrase it, because I guess Eru doesn't really have goals, because everything, basically everything that he wants to happen, happens. But yeah, they're the ones that, that are most invested in Eru's vision. So Iluvatar finishes showing them this vision, shows them a vision of all the cool stuff that they made with their song, um, and then he just turns off the vision, and all the Ainur are like, oh man, hey, man, we were watching that. And he's like, well, I'm about to make this thing come into existence, this world. By the way, he hadn't made the world. He, nothing that, that their song had made had actually been created yet. He was just showing them a vision of what their song would make. I might have jumped ahead of myself there. So he, And then he's like, boom, let it be. And the, the world that he crafted came into an existence, and he's like, all right, so here's the deal. You guys can go down into the world if you want. I know you guys want to see elves and men, because possibly it talks about how maybe in the vision they didn't really get to see up to elves and men. They just kind of saw bits and pieces of, of the planet here and there. So he's like, you guys can go down there and prepare things for elves and men. I know you guys love this stuff that you that you work so hard to make. And he's like, but here's the deal. from If you do that, basically your powers and your yourselves are going to be are going to be bound to the world until the world ends. So he's like, so some of the Einars stay up there and just kind of chill in the void with Eru, but most of them because they're super excited and most of the strongest ones are like, all right, well we're going to go down here and hang out with the world until the world ends and see what these people are all about. And those are the ones that are called the Valar, which means the powers of the world. So, a lot of the Einar descended on into Arda, the world, or Ea. And so, obviously, they they get there, and the planet is just is just a it's just a rock. It's useless. It's it's just a mess. Uh, and they find out that the stuff that they foresaw was stuff that they actually had to work toward. That this was basically the beginning of time for this world, and that they had to actually achieve the things that they had seen. So obviously, Ulmo, Aulo, Al, Ulmo, Aule, and Manwe have some of the biggest jobs, being essentially the gods of land, sea, and air. Um, so they just start working hard on this planet. Melkor gets down there. Obviously, he goes down to the earth, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be my kingdom. This, this, this whole thing. This is mine. This is mine. I, I claim it in my own name." And Manwe, Man, Manwe, who's kind of like described as the brother of Melkor. Even though, I mean, they're all kinds of... They're all basically Iluvatar's thoughts become form. Uh, Manwe is like, hey man, we worked on this too. You can't just you can't just have the whole thing. And Melkor's like, well, whatever. And basically everything that they try to make, Melkor is constantly trying to mess it up. So, like, the whole thing with the snowflakes and the clouds. So he's just constantly trying to do what he can to screw with everyone else. Uh, and sometimes, and, and Monway brings all these lesser spirits. Uh, so, I, it's unclear whether they are also Einar. I think that they are. Um, but they're like lesser Einar. They're not, none of them are as strong or as powerful as the Valar, which are kind of the chief, the chief angel type people. Uh, and they're called Maiar. Uh, and some examples of Maiar, so that you get kind of a scale of their power is Gandalf. Gandalf is a Maiar that everyone knows. He's not human. He's a Maiar. He's basically like 
almost a lesser angel. Uh, the Balrog that he fights in Fellowship of the Ring, that is also a Maiar. Uh, Galadriel's mom is a Maiar. I, I believe Galadriel's mom is a Maiar. Uh, oh, all the wizards are Maiar. So Radagast, the brown, Saruman, the white, Gandalf. Um, and then there were two blue wizards that are mentioned, although you never really see what any of their endeavors are. Um, so yeah, they're kind of like lesser spirits. So Manwe puts all these all these Maiar to work. Kind of, kind of like his bodyguards. He, they're, they're like working on the world, and he puts them out there so that if Melkor tries to come mess it up, they can be like, they can step in and be like, "Hey, back off." And obviously, Melkor, since this, since it's all he can do, uh, starts trying to turn some of them to his side. And basically, you'll see that theme a lot. That, I mean, Melkor's whole deal is he's incapable of creating anything of his own, anything new or interesting. He just tries to corrupt and mess up other people's stuff and make it his um so he kind of disappears while they're all working and toiling he's just kind of sneaking around trying to screw things up for everyone the book talks about how when the when the valar descend into the world to be bound there forever i mean until not forever for them but forever for us um they come down into the world and they take form and obviously they take some really rad forms and and since they basically got vision for the first time when they were shown the vision of the world they didn't have vision or need vision up until that point so the forms that they take are kind of related to the things that they saw on earth so you know they they take forms of this and i'm sure like like gender studies people and stuff like that would could have a heyday with this. But it talks about how the Valar, when they, they can take the forms of men or women, they can take the forms of whatever they want. It's like putting on clothes for them. And they can basically go naked, and they just are not perceived. Even if they're there, they're, they cannot be seen. They're just a presence. and um, So like a god, basically. And it talks about how they, when they take form... It's usually of a male or female um, because they kind of it basically says they basically start with that with that temperament that but they can take the forms of either male or female the same way and it talks it compares it to the same way a man or a woman can dress in masculine or feminine clothes so can the Valar uh, make themselves look male or female even though they are actually they actually have basically genders starting out. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. So the Valar basically start with genders, but they can they can obviously just make themselves female or male in form as they like. And I really want to describe uh, Melkor's appearance on the scene when he comes onto the earth because the Valar all looked pretty rad. Like, they came down, and some of them kind of took the forms of people, but a lot of them took the forms of just, like, the things that they love. So, like, winds and oceans and just these... They, they, they're, they like, these forms that are kind of inspired by nature. And Melkor is, like, super jealous because they all look so rad. And he's like, well, I want to look really cool, too. So he comes into the world... And, but because he's so angry, his form like reflects that. So it says, it says, um, 
Because of his mood and the malice that burned in him, that form was dark and terrible, and he descended upon Arda in power and majesty greater than any other of the Valar, as a mountain that wades in the sea, and has its head above the clouds, and is clad in ice and crowned with smoke and fire. And the light of the eyes of Melkor was like a flame that withers with heat and pierces with a deadly cold. So basically, he just took the form of a giant volcano god. He's just like this giant, massive form with bright, evil eyes and smoke and fire and ice. And sounds pretty awesome, though. So that good for him. Good for him for making an entrance. So anyway, coming to the end of this chapter. Um, so this is basically the end of the uh, Ainu Lindale. Um, basically, it's kind of the first, it becomes the first war of the Valar. Um, so the Valar are constantly trying to prepare this world and they're making mountain ranges and they're making valleys and they're making these beautiful landscapes and everywhere they go, Melkor is throwing down mountains, raising up valleys, uh, it talks about they'll make oceans and he would just drain them, um, so he's just constantly trying to mess up everything the whatever they do they he tries to do the opposite uh, but it talks about how the world still slowly takes shape because even though nothing is turning out the way the Valar envisioned like want it to turn out uh, it's still taking a shape like it's still forming a habitable place even if it's not the one that the, that they wanted or planned so that's that's the end of the Ainulindale um, which is kind of the beginning of creation. Uh, the next chapter is called Valaquenta, um, which is, it talks more about about their the details of them basically preparing the planet. Um, so I'll go into that more. That's, that's, this is some of my favorite stuff, because it talks about all of, a lot more of the Valar or Einar, Einar and what their independent roles were, and the kind of cool stuff they did. Uh, up to the awakening of the elves and stuff. So I really am looking forward to get into that, getting into that. Um, and I hope that this was at least interesting to listen to. And I will probably do the next chapter as well. And up into the, the end of the book. So um, hopefully look forward to those. Thanks. <laughs>